Blog Talk Radio. And good evening, everyone. This is Attorney Michael Cord, and um, we're hoping that tonight we have a, well, we're not hoping, we certainly will, have a great discussion about a great documentary entitled Slavery by Another Name. Slavery by Another Name is actually based on a book that was written by a gentleman by the name of Douglas Blackman, and Douglas Blackman did a great job, a fascinating job, on talking about the plight of black men, black women, and black children shortly after the end of slavery in 1865. I mean, many people thought that after 1865, then everything was wonderful for black folks, that the Emancipation Proclamation had uh, been announced by President Abe Lincoln, that the 13th Amendment became law, and that, therefore, black people were free. It's 1865, and finally, we got the justice, long overdue justice and freedom that we were looking for. But sadly, nothing, I repeat, nothing could be further from the truth. And we're hoping to have filmmaker, producer, and director Sam Pollard to give us the details. I mean, to the extent that Douglas Blackman was the author and also did some production work on the documentary, the man we really want to talk to tonight is the filmmaker, the producer, the director, Sam Pollard, so he can give us his great insight on why he did what he did with slavery by another name. By the way, I want to give a big shout-out to Leslie Gist of the Gist of Freedom because it's her show that we're doing this great programming on. So if folks want to join us, we hope they would. Give us a call, and we'll be happy to let you participate in this great discussion about slavery by another name. And those of you who want to call in should do so, and you can give us a call at your convenience whenever you wish to. And if we have time, we certainly will take your call. If not, then unfortunately you'll just sit there and listen to some great information, which is not a bad thing if you think about it. Great information coming here tonight. I'm going to talk to you about slavery by another name. I'm hoping that you spread the word to family and friends. If you're listening to my voice now, it's because you dialed 347-324-5552. Give that number to family. Give that number to friends and tell them to tune in to the Gist of Freedom, hosted generally by Leslie Gist. Tonight we're going to talk about slavery by another name, and we hope we can track down our other guest, Sam Pollard, who's the filmmaker, the producer, and director. Let me just say this for a minute. Let me assume for the sake of our discussion that you know nothing about the book Slavery by Another Name, and you know nothing about the documentary, Slavery by Another Name. Well, please go and get the book, read the book, and go watch the documentary. It's free. You can go to pbs.org, that's publicbroadcastingsystem.org, and just type in the words Slavery by Another Name, and you'll be able to watch the nearly two-hour documentary entitled Slavery by another name. But let's say you know nothing about it. Let me give you a quick update on what it's about, and you'll be fascinated by it, and you'll want to see the documentary and read the book. Slavery by another name is basically a discussion about the horrors that black men, black women, 
and black children went through from 1865 to 1945. 1865 to 1945. That's about 60 years ago when you think about it, 1945. Black people remained in slave-like conditions even after slavery ended. Think about that. Black people remained in slave-like conditions even after slavery ended. This is how it goes. From 1619 to 1865, 1619 to 1865, black folks were enslaved. Actually, it began slavery as we know it here in the country that became America, on the land that became America, on August 20, 1619, when 20 black men, women, and children were enslaved in what we know to be Jamestown, Virginia, August 20, 1619. In fact, the slave traders had flyers circulating in Jamestown saying, 20 nagars for sale. Nagars was the term they used for Negroes or black folks, but the spelling was N-E-G-A-R-S, 20 nagars. They were actually kidnapped from Africa, and the slave ship that they were on was hijacked by a Dutch man of war. Better stated, it was pirated by a Dutch pirate ship. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, there were problems with that ship. It was starting to sink. They needed to set sail as they needed to anchor and find land someplace before the entire ship went underwater. So they stopped off, emergency stop, in Jamestown, Virginia, and they didn't have any money. They didn't have any food. But what they did have were 20 black men, women, and children to sell or trade. That was August 20, 1619. That was the beginning of the end for black people here in America as far as slavery is concerned. Well, if that was the beginning, then 246 years later was the end in 1865. Forget about the Emancipation Proclamation. That really didn't do anything. These were just words by Abe Lincoln that had no real political impact. It was basically just a political ploy. It was designed to take away from the South the enslaved people they had. Think about it this way. Think about the President of the United States freeing people in China. Well, the President of the United States can't free people in China because he has no jurisdiction over China. Well, that's the same thing that happened here in 1865 with the Emancipation Proclamation. Abe Lincoln was freeing the enslaved black folks who were in the South. But the South at the time was a separate country. It was called the Confederate States of America. They had seceded from the United States and were a separate country. So for Abe Lincoln to say he was freeing anybody there was just a political ploy. He really had no intent of freeing anybody. Let's jump from the Emancipation Proclamation to the 13th Amendment. 13th Amendment was passed and became part of the Constitution in 1865. And if you think the the 13th Amendment, forget about the Emancipation Proclamation, if you think the 13th Amendment freed black folks from slavery, it really didn't. Don't get me wrong now, it was a great start, but it doesn't say in the 13th Amendment that slavery is abolished. What it says is that involuntary servitude is abolished unless in connection with a jail sentence. What does that mean? That means that black folks are free unless they are convicted of a crime. That's the perfect segue 
into the book and documentary entitled Slavery by Another Name. Remember, 1619 to 1865, slavery existed legally in this country. That's 246 years. Then with the 13th Amendment, which to a certain degree appeared to end slavery, that took effect in 1865. But it really didn't because what the 30th Amendment does, and, and believe me, it's a great amendment to the U.S. Constitution because it started to move toward freedom for black people. But it didn't create freedom right there on the spot because, once again, if you read the 13th Amendment, it says that involuntary servitude, which means forced labor, which means slavery, involuntary servitude shall be abolished unless as punishment for conviction of a crime. So you would be freed unless you were found guilty of a crime. That's exactly what the southern states began to do. They began in 1865, after the 13th Amendment became law, southern states began to pass laws known as the Black Codes. During slavery, those laws were called slave codes. Now think about that. They're called slave codes during slavery, but after, quote-unquote, slavery ended, they passed these new laws called Black Codes. And these Black Codes were designed to set a trap for black people. They created crimes that didn't exist before so that black people could fall into those crimes, be convicted, and then be legally enslaved again. From 1865 to 1945, that's 80 years, 1865 to 1945, and many of you listening, either you were born during that time, 1945, or certainly your parents were born during that time. And if your parents were born in the South, I can guarantee you that they know somebody or they have a relative who was caught up in that slavery by another name, black code laws. This is how it breaks down. Remember, you can't have the slave codes anymore because there's no slavery anymore. But you can have these black codes, and these black codes were laws like the pig laws. The pig laws basically said that if you were convicted of stealing a pig, you would be sentenced to five years hard labor. Five years hard labor for stealing a damn pig. Now, you might ask, well, why were black people stealing pigs? Pretty simple. You got to eat. And that was the food that was available. They weren't stealing pigs in order to make money. They were stealing food in order to eat. And if you take food in order to eat, from my standpoint, that's not stealing. That's called surviving. So these black codes, beginning in 1865, created laws like the pig laws. They also created laws like the railway laws. You might ask, what's the railway laws? Very simple. The railway laws said this. Black people could not walk near a rail line. What does that mean? That means that black folks could not walk near train tracks. Why couldn't black folks walk near train tracks? Very simple. The South needed a labor force, and this labor force was going to be cheap labor since they certainly didn't want to pay anybody to work. So they realized that black folks who had been recently enslaved 
and who realized that the white folks in the South still hated them, these black folks were getting the hell out of Dodge. They were trying to leave the southern states to get to the north in order to have, quote, unquote, real freedom. How do you get to the north from the south? Well, you can't catch an airplane because you don't have the money to. You can't hitch a ride in a car because you don't have a car and none of your friends do. But there are these trains, and these trains go all across the country, picking up food, dropping off food, picking up products, dropping off products, and you can hitch a ride on one of these trains and free of charge go from the south to the north. So the south realized that black people were leaving, getting out of there, so they passed these laws saying if we catch black people anywhere near train tracks, that's a crime, and they would be punished for that crime. Now, think about that. How in the world would that be a crime, simply, one, catching a train to leave town, or two, even, be, even being anywhere near train tracks? So we just talked about the pig laws. We talked about the railway or train track laws. But there's some other laws. There's the yelling law. What's the yelling law? The yelling law said that black men could not raise their voice in the presence of white women. Think about that. There was a law in 1865, up until 1945, 80 years, almost a century, that said black men could not raise their voice in the presence of white women. And if you did, that was a crime. And you were arrested and you were charged, and you were convicted, and you were sentenced to prison. Think about that. But as bad as the pig laws were, and they were bad, as bad as the train track or railway laws were, and they were bad, and the yelling in the presence of white women law, yes, that was bad, but the worst law, the worst law was a law that in a different form still exists today. That's called the vagrancy law. And the vagrancy law basically said this. If you had no visible means of support, then you were a criminal. And if you were a criminal, you had to be punished. And how were you punished? You were punished through something called convict leasing. Because once you were arrested and charged and convicted, you either went straight to prison or if you didn't go to prison, you certainly would be fine. And if you couldn't pay the fine, you went to prison. We're talking tonight on the Gist of Freedom, normally hosted by Leslie Gist. We're talking about slavery by another name. And we're hoping that we can get our guest tonight, Brother Sam Pollard, who's the filmmaker, the producer, and the director of this fascinating documentary. And by the way, we've invited callers to call in. And if folks want to call in, and to participate in discussion, they're certainly welcome to. But let me spend two or three minutes. Um, Excuse me, Professor. I'm sorry. Professor, yeah. you're doing a wonderful job. We have some callers on the line. I hope one of them is Mr. Sam Pollard. Yes, um, yes. If, if you are on the line, uh, we're going to go with uh, the number that's ending with 9124. If you have a question or comment, would you please state it? Okay, um, call it 4134 if you have a question or comment. No? Okay, we're going to mute you guys out, and we're going to allow 
Professor, Attorney Activist Michael Kaur to continue. You're doing an excellent job, and I thank you, and I'm just fascinated. My pleasure. pleasure. Thank you very much. The voice you heard was the voice of Leslie Gitt, the host of this great programming called The Gist of Freedom. And she has invited a great filmmaker, a great producer, a great director by the name of Sam Pollard, who did a, I don't want to say a great documentary because it's a tragic one. It's a sad one, but it's real. It's called Slavery by Another Name. And that's the perfect name because it basically allowed slavery to exist for 80 years after black folks were freed. We were freed, quote-unquote freed, in 1865, but because of slavery by another name, we were re-enslaved for another 80 years, from 1865 to 1945, because of these things called the black codes. And these black codes created new crimes, crimes that were traps for black men primarily. But don't get me wrong, there were black women who were also sent to prison. There were black children also sent to prison. The interesting thing is this. We complain that today America jails more of its citizens than any country on the planet in terms of proportionality. America jails more of its citizens in prisons and jails throughout this country more than any other in terms of proportionality than any country on the planet. And when it comes to the racial component, approximately 40% of the black folks in jail today are black. In terms of these, the prisons that existed back in 1865 up to 1945, 40% of the inmates then were black folks. And there were only Uh, about 4 million of us. Yes. We have a caller on the line who came on just to talk a little bit about what you're saying in reference to Rikers Island and the history of Rikers Island. Mr. Jacob Morris uh, of the Harlem Historical Society, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Okay, would you introduce yourself to Mr. Michael Cord? Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> I, I'm doing well, and thank you very much for calling in. I'd love to hear your comments. Oh, well, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, I'm very taken with um, that Rikers Island uh, itself is named after um, a gentleman. I use the word advisedly. Yes. Um, <laughs> Richard Riker. Um do you know who Richard Riker was? As a matter of fact, it's funny that you mention that because I never even realized that Riker's Island was named after an individual. So I'm being enlightened by you now. Well, you know, it was uh, it was kind of de facto, um, <clears throat> but he was the um, he was the chief magistrate of the city of New York for quite a long time. Um, somewhere around from 1820 to around 18, oh, I don't know, somewhere around 1840. This is approximately, but he was okay. he was the he was the chief magistrate, um, which was the second most powerful position in uh, New York City after the mayor. Okay. Um, 
Now, the Riker family was this very prominent um, Dutch family, goes all the way back, you know, and um, they owned Rikers Island, among other land in New York City. But um, he was he was uh, what did he, I guess you could call him like uh, the patriarch of the clan. Uh, but in his position as chief magistrate, and I just find it like so incredibly ironic because here is this place, this large jail. <laughs> the whole island is a big jail, <laughs> and we know who let's say, is um, disproportionately represented among the population yeah. at that jail. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you like that disproportionate part, right? <laughs> no doubt about it. <laughs> so um, Richard Riker, uh, well, I came upon him um, because of um, you know my, my research into New York City's role in the Underground Railroad. And um, he was mentioned by name by a gentleman called um, David Ruggles. Um, David Ruggles was the uh, gentleman. He was like a, a key founder of the Underground Railroad in New York City, in Manhattan. <clears throat> he was the general secretary of the Vigilance Committee, which was uh, became the model for vigilance committees um, all around um, in the various other cities, you know. Uh, so actually, uh, Manhattan was a leader uh, in um, forming this particular model of the Underground Railroad. Um, so this goes uh, directly to, you know, some of what you were talking about. Um, you know, uh, they had bounty hunters. And the bounty hunters would, um, their job, I mean, a big part of their income was uh, recovering uh, escaping slaves. And uh, when uh, business was slow, um, they uh, would kidnap black children of freed blacks, free black families. They would kidnap their children because blacks could not testify um, against whites. I'm glad you made that point because uh, I live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and obviously we have Independence Mall, and one of the courthouses uh, in Independence Mall, steps away from the Libby Belt, is one of the federal courthouses where there would be hearings during the slavery era where even if you were a free black man or a free black woman or a free black child, if they lacked all slave, sorts of protections absolutely came and, and kidnapped you and brought you into the federal court as a black person, you could not testify that you were free. Imagine that. You're kidnapped, taken to court, and the law say that you cannot testify. So now it's the slave catcher's word against no word, and you find yourself in Mississippi somewhere. Frightening concept. And uh, actually, it was even worse than that. <laughs> it was even worse than that. Because um, uh, the judges would get kickbacks from the bounty hunting rings. And actually, it's even worse than that because <laughs> judges would actually get approximately $5 to determine that you were not a slave and set you free, but they would get $10 to determine that you were a slave and send you back. That was their salary. And that was, that, quote, unquote, 
That's so really bad. It, 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 in addition but they to would get more than that. That about. was just uh, on the books, you know, but they would get more than that uh, from the, oh, uh, from the ranks, I mean, yeah. But my thing is that we always know there's always going to be corruption. That's bad enough. You figure the corrupt people will engage in corruption. But to have it written into the law that the judge gets more for ruling against quote-unquote slaves than against for freedom, right? <laughs> That's the frightening thing. Well, the, the whole thing was frightening. Uh, you know, for me, it was, you know, at first it was like, well, why did they call these committees vigilance committees? And uh, it came to me, they were being vigilant for their children. That was their first highest priority. The Underground Railroad and helping blacks who were seeking to escape to freedom uh, was their second priority. Uh, and uh, that was a revelation for me. Um, to, to, it really gave me, you know, like a feeling for what the, the period was like. So then the irony of um, that here's the, the chief magistrate, of the legal system of the city of New York getting kickbacks from bounty hunting rings. And here's this island now in our present time which incarcerates this huge number and disproportionate percentage of black and Hispanic men, actually. And it's named after this person who... um, has this incredibly negative history in regards to um, in regards to the sale of black children before the Civil War back into slavery? I must add something to it. It's continuing today in Pennsylvania. Uh, Michael Court, are you familiar with the the case about the judges receiving kickbacks for a private a private um, detention center? Absolutely. In fact, that story broke about four, about three, four years ago. And fortunately, last year, both judges were sentenced to lengthy prison terms. Explain to the audience. What After we're getting about. away with it for many, many years. <laughs> yeah, there was there was there was one judge initially, and then a second judge jumped into it. Um, well, what they were doing was they were both family court judges dealing with juvenile, so-called juvenile delinquents. But something weird was happening. Despite the fact that any person arrested, whether adult or juvenile, has the right to a lawyer. But these judges would have these quote-unquote trials with no lawyers present and would find these children guilty and send them to this private prison, this juvenile detention facility. And people were wondering, why are these judges so harsh? I mean, you have situations where a kid might have hooked from school three days in a row. Normally you get suspended, that's the end of it. But these judges were locking these kids up, and it was going on for days, going on for weeks, going on for months, going on for years. And the sad thing is that the system was well aware of it, but nobody was doing anything until some brave lawyer from the local public defender's office really went ballistic and went public and finally as they say, the stuff at the band and both... It was disgusting. It was a disgusting situation. I mean, the idea that they were putting kids in jail so that they could get more funding. The more people, the more fodder you had, the more ammunition you had in the form of children by putting them in jail, the more money they would get. So 
So there was like a bounty on the head of each of those children who normally would have gotten a slap on the wrist, but these kids were sent to a juvenile jail because these judges wanted the money that they would get for each kid sentenced to prison. Horrible situation. Okay, absolutely, you absolutely. Uh, well, I wanted to ask um, um, uh, our friend um, um, a question, you know, because uh, one of the things that occurred to me is I would I would love to see Riker's name taken off Riker's Island. Yeah, I mean, I certainly would, too. Um, some of the information you shared I was not aware of. I did remember the name um, Riker, who I believe is the same person who was not only a lawyer, but the district attorney in New York at the turn of the century, around 1801, 1802. I'm assuming it's the same person. No, no, the, the, the family went on. I mean, uh, the family still, um, you know, uh, exists, as a matter of fact, uh, there's descendants, um, you know, uh, but yeah, I want to be clear. I'm you know that, that the I'm island was named same, around that time. And I'm saying this is the same person who was appointed district attorney of New York at around that time. That's the point I'm making. He was a lawyer first, and then around 1801 or 1802 became the district attorney of the first district of New York. I'm sure it's the same Richard Riker. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, you could look into that. It might have been. It might have been yeah, his father. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that because it was 1801, and you made oh, they the go back. That, they go back into the yeah. 17, early 1700s. The family I goes got all that the way part, back. But you did. But you did mention that sometime around 1820 or so, that island was named uh, Rikers Island. So it became known it, as. Yeah. It, it became known as. as. So that's because only it was their property. So that's only 19 years after this other person, whose name is Richard Riker, it had to be the same person. Yes. Do you want to uh, go back to the film where you left off? You were uh, doing a great oh, job. Ab absolutely. Um, again, even if we can't get a hold of our invited guest, Sam Pollard, tonight, uh, I hope that we would have him sometime soon. He's the filmmaker. He's the producer. He's the director of a great documentary entitled Slavery by Another Name. And, you know, I hesitate to say great because often you say great, that implies good. There's nothing good about the horrors that took place from 1865 to 1945 when black folks were re-enslaved. This is all based on something called convict leasing. And convict leasing basically says that if you are convicted of a crime, the county sheriff will lease you out to the local businesses. So if you got, say, five black men who you have convicted for being vagrants, and vagrants simply mean that you have no visible means of support. Well, obviously you won't have any visible means of support because a week earlier you were enslaved on the Johnson Plantation. So you have no job. You have no education. You're just hoping that you can use your physical labor in order to get a job. But they weren't hiring black people in slavery. They were lynching people after that. So they oh, wait a minute. Um, Mr. Core, we're losing you. Um, we can't hear you. Can you all speak right, up? let me see. Is, is that a little better? Much better, much better. Okay. 
so my point is, and I hope folks heard what I said in the last 30 seconds. I'll quickly rehash it. My point is, although slavery, quote-unquote, ended in 1865, a new form of slavery known as convict leasing came into effect, and that was for about 80 years from 1865 to 1945. And what convict leasing says this, it says, we can't legally enslave black people, but we can arrest them and charge them and prosecute them. And once we do that, we're automatically going to find them guilty. And once they're guilty, they become convicts. So instead of just putting them in the county lockup for 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, you figure out, hey, instead of me wasting money by having to feed these people in my county jail, for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, I'm going to lease them out to the local coal mine. I'm going to lease them out to the local tobacco plantation. I'm going to lease them out to the local cotton farm. And when you lease them out, a weird thing begins to happen. Those 30-day jail sentences somehow turned into six-month jail sentences. And those six-month jail sentences begin to turn into one-year sentences. By the time these folks were released, they had served six, seven, eight, sometimes ten years in prison for simply, one, possibly stealing a pig to eat, and far often they wouldn't even do anything, even like stealing, even though I don't call it stealing if you need the food to eat, but if you were walking along a trolley track, you were convicted. If you raised your voice in the presence of white women, you were convicted. That was a law. You couldn't raise your voice in the presence of white women. And for the most part, it was all about vacancy laws. So if you had no visible means of support, and black people obviously did not because they just got their so-called freedom after spending hundreds of years in slavery, they had no job. They had no income. They had no visible means of support. So they were sentenced as convicts and were leased. Think about it. Let's say you have the ABC company today, and the ABC company is a labor-intensive company. They need people to uh, dig ditches. Okay, 2012, here in Philadelphia or New York or Chicago, they need all these people to dig ditches. But they realize there's something in the United States called minimum wage laws. Let's say the minimum wage law is ten dollars an hour. So now the ABC company got to pay these 100 workers ten dollars an hour in order to dig a ditch. But then the ABC company comes up with a great idea. So instead of hiring these people and paying them ten dollars an hour, why don't we go to the local jail here in Philly, the local jail in Chicago, the local jail in Detroit, and take the people out of the jail and now we're getting these people from the city of Philadelphia, from the city of New York, from the city of Detroit. So we don't have to pay them the minimum wage. We are their lease to us from those jails. So we don't have to pay them a dime. They're doing part of their prison sentence by digging the ditch. So if I'm the ABC company CEO, I'm not going to spend money and have to pay these 100 workers $10 an hour. I'm going to go to the county jail and get those people. And instead of paying these 100 workers $10 an hour minimum wage, 
the county jail might have worked at a deal where I only have to pay $1 an hour. Well, that's exactly what happened between 1865 and 1945, that these black men, I'm talking about not tens, not dozens, not hundreds, thousands of black men, women, and children caught up in these horrendous laws and sentenced to prison for no other reason than being black and poor in the South. And what they went through, to a certain extent, was even worse than what black folks had gone through during slavery. You might ask, how could that, could it be worse? Well, many people are shocked to find out that enslaved people during slavery from 1865, from 1619 to 1865, they were insured, like your car is insured, like your house is insured. So if your car is in an accident and the fender gets knocked off, or if there's a small fire in your house and you have to get the kitchen redone, well, your car was insured, so the insurance company is going to pay you for that. Your house was insured, so the the insurance company is going to pay you for repairs to your house. But you wanted to take care of your car because you had to pay monthly premiums. You wanted to take care of your house because you had to pay monthly premiums because that car was valuable to you. That house was valuable to you. That's exactly what happened with the slave black men, women, and children. Yes, they were beaten. Yes, they were whipped but they were taken care of enough so that they could go out and do the work. However, after 1865, they weren't insured. They were easily replaceable. So you would do cruel, even crueler, because don't get me wrong, now slavery was unbearably cruel. It was literally held on earth. And if it was held on earth as slavery, convict leasing, the stuff talked about in slavery by another name wasn't even the hotter part of hell on earth. Why did I say that? Because the convicts had no monetary value to the company. The company could kill them all by making them work these outrageous hours and in these dangerous conditions. And once they died, you just replaced them with another convict. But with slavery, yes, they were replaced, but you had to buy them and you had to pay insurance for them. So they were of a financial value to you, like your house was, like your car was. But now with the convicts, there's no real value. You're only paying a dollar an hour a dollar an hour or back then more like a dollar a week. And did the money go to these black men? Did the money go to these black women? Did the money go to these black children? Of course not. It went to the jail. So I'm encouraging people, please get the book entitled Slavery by Another Name. And if you can't get the book, or in addition to getting the book, you've got to see the documentary. This is the documentary done by our invited guest, who I'm sure we're going to have one sometime soon, Sam Pollard, the filmmaker, the producer, the director, did this fascinating and horrific documentary entitled Slavery by Another Name. You can see it, the entire heart-wrenching two-hour documentary by simply logging on to www.pbs.org. That's PBS for Public Broadcasting System.org. 
And when you get to that website, just click on to Slavery by Another Name. I always talk about me, Attorney Michael Court, of being the angriest black man in America. Well, I was even angrier, absolutely angrier, when I began to watch and sat there and endured that slavery by another name. I thought I was angry before I saw it. I was even angrier after I saw it. If folks want more information about slavery by another name, if they want more information about Sam Pollard, then just contact Leslie Gist of the Leslie Gist of the Gist of Freedom. That's Leslie Gist of the Gist of Freedom. Just Google that, Google her name, Google the name of the program, go to her website, and you'll be able to get more information. Folks who want to contact me can do so, and I'll wrap this up in 30 seconds. Michael Cord, C-O-A-R-D. Go to my website, www.avengingtheancestors.com. That's www.avengingtheancestors.com, or call me, 215 215- Five five two eight seven five one two one five 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 two eight seven five one. We certainly want to thank everybody who called in. We got a great call from Jacob, and I definitely want to thank Leslie. She does a great job bringing great programming to the listeners. Tune in for the next show when there will be other powerful information about anything and everything affecting black people. Thank you very much.